brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Messiah Yeshua who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Today, I want to talk about calling, calling. That is our purpose in the Lord. And I want to see all of us, all of us, moving forward in this area, walking in our calling, our identity, and our purpose. But how do we get there? Well, for one, we remember Paul's words that I just read to the community at Corinth. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. That's what I read right there. Think of what you were when you were called. How many of us were adequate? Thanks, Robert. How many of us were adequate, adequate to, the, to the purpose? How many of us responded to God's call with, well, uh, I'm sure I'm the right person for that, and uh, I can definitely do it? Anyone? Most of us probably have felt inadequate to the task uh, at some point. You know, why, why me? Right? Or maybe we don't quite know what that calling is. Maybe we've never really thought about it or it's not clear, or we don't know how to do it, or, uh, or how we might be able to walk in it here at Tikvat or in other communities. Paradoxically, I think the answer is not confidence, strangely enough. To walk in our purpose in God means to walk in humility. Humility is the strength that enables us to walk in our God-driven and our God-given purpose. Humility allows us to overcome those obstacles. So first, I'd like to uh, define some terms so we know what we're talking about here. When I talk about calling, what, what does that mean? So I've looked at the narratives from Scripture and uh, in, in terms of when they were called by God, and this is the best uh, definition that I can come up with. A calling or a purpose, it comes from God. That is, it is God-given. It's not just what we're good at. It's not just what we like to do, but it's something that God has given us to do. Number two, it is outward focus. It's not about me, right? Right? A calling should be something that enables us to bless community, bless others. It's outward focus. And number three, because of that, after all of that, a calling brings meaning and fulfillment, but only before the first two, that it's given from the Lord and that it is outward focused. So let's start with the purpose. 
right? The first obstacle that we have to our purpose or our calling is probably doubt, right? How could God use us if we struggle with X or if we haven't finished Y or if we've never been able to do Z, right? You can fill in the blanks there with things that we might have thought. We may have some reservations about our abilities or our qualifications, right? But the good thing is we're not alone. Guess who also struggled with some doubts about his qualifications? Our good friend, Moshe. Moshe, yes, we, you usually revere him. We think of Moses as this amazing figure, a teacher, scholar, prophet, and he was. But let's look at his calling, all right? So looking at the narrative, what's happening? Well, he meets a burning bush. But what happened before that? So Moses spent the first 40 years of his life, right, in Pharaoh's court. He was kind of living the good life, right? And then he took up the cause of the uh, Israelites, and he murdered um, uh, an Egyptian. And uh, it was found out by the Pharaoh. So then he spent the next 40 years of his life in Midian, in the desert. And he was a, a shepherd, sort of a common theme for a lot of our leaders. A lot of them were shepherds. David was a shepherd. Anyway, something about taking care of sheep is very is good for a leader. So so how old is he at this point? He's 80, right? So who here is under 80? I don't want to embarrass anyone, you know, but okay. All right? So if you're under 80, there's still more for you to do. And even if you're not under 80, there's still more for you to do. Amen? Amen. Okay. So if you haven't started your calling yet, there's still hope because Moses didn't get started till he was 80. All right, but there's there's a certain resistance that we have to the call. So this is what happens. I'm going to summarize it for you. So the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush, and uh, but first he notices it, and he's like, "Oh, well, let me go over here and see why this bush isn't burning up." And the Lord speaks to him and tells him to do what? You have to go to Pharaoh, go to Egypt, and tell him. Let my people go, right? And, uh, and he says, uh, oh, that sounds great. Uh, no, no, there's a long conversation. This is many, many chapters, actually, starting in Exodus 3. This is where it's found if you want to look it up later. So the first thing he says is, who am I? Who am I that I should go? Who am I? I'm just little Moses. And the Lord says, what? I will be with you. I will be with you. So it doesn't matter so much who you are. It matters who I am, speaking from the Lord's point of view. And then Moses says, okay, okay, but who should I say is sending me? Like, I mean, you know, who, like, who are you and what do I say if, you know, the, the Lord told me? And the Lord says his name. He reveals his name, yud heh vav -Hey, the unpronounceable name um, that we say as a, as a, uh, traditionally in Judaism, we just say Adonai or Hashem. This is the first time that the name is revealed to a person in scripture. yud heh vav -Hey, I am that I am is sending you, right? So you think Moses is satisfied at this point? No. And then he says, well, okay, 
I am is sending me, that's good. That means that you're the name above all names and uh, you'll be with me. You're Emmanuel. But what if they don't believe me? Right? What about that? And so the Lord says, well, okay, I'll, uh, we could do some signs, right? We can, uh, if you throw down your staff, uh, we can do some, some miracles here and some wonders and, and that'll help you. And Moses says, all right. No? More? More kvetching? Right. So then Moses says, okay, I'm slow of speech and tongue. How many of you feel that you do not like to get in front of a crowd? You would not want to be up here where I am right now. All right? Keep your hand up. All right? Now, keep your hand up if the Lord has called you to do that at some point, to give a drosh or something like that. Okay, okay, so now we're in the same company as Moses, right? Okay, so it might be an awesome drosh, right? The Lord has used you because even though you may think that you're slow of speech and tongue, that's not a disqualification. It wasn't for Moses, not for us, all right? And then, after all of that, what does Moses say? Please, just... Send somebody else. Please. Please, Lord. So the Lord says, he's, Lord kind of gets angry with him at this point. And uh, he says, okay, okay, I'll send Aaron, and you just tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron will speak for you. Okay? All right, well, so that brings us to, uh, to another call. There's another interesting call, uh, so that we don't think this is an isolated case. What about Gideon? Have you heard of this guy? Gideon, right? So what is the background of Gideon? Well, this is the time of the judges. It's in the book of Judges, or it could be translated uh, chieftains. These are basically uh, charismatic leaders. Um, the, the word that's used in scripture is the, the uh, spirit of the Lord, the Ruach, came upon these individuals to rise up and bring Israel back to the Lord and also redeem her from, there was usually some foreign group that was oppressing them. So they would kind of be military leaders and spiritual leaders. Um, they were the precursors, we could say, of, of King David. Okay? But this was before the kings, right? And uh, this is the time of, you think of Samson, we think of Deborah, we think of uh, Gideon. It's in that context. Does that make sense? Yes? All right. So uh, this is found in Judges uh, chapter 6. Verses 11 through 17, this is the call of Gideon. Do we have it? Very good. So the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Sounds familiar, right? I am with you. And then he calls him. Mighty warrior. Does he sound like a mighty warrior at this point? No. Remember the, remember the verse I said at the beginning. God calls things that are not as though they were. Right? The Lord has a different perspective on this. And Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So the very thing he was kvetching about, the Lord says, Okay, well, I've called you to do something about it. Right? Oh, Lord, where were you? We're, we have this Midianite oppression. Okay, well, I'm calling you. I'm putting my spirit on you, Gideon, to do something about it. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Menashe, and I am the least in my family. Sounds like Moses, right? The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leading none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So then we have in the narrative, there's a number of signs that, the, that Gideon needs to kind of be reassured that the Lord is indeed with him. So what do we notice from the calling of Moses, Moshe, and Gideon? Well, what does God call Gideon? He calls him mighty warrior, right? Do you think that Gideon sees himself as a mighty warrior at this point? No way, right? The Lord sees us differently because the Lord sees us in our calling already firmly established, and then he calls it, he brings it, draws it out. Scripture says that the desires of a man's heart are a deep well, but a person of discernment, right, which could be even the Lord, draws it out. The Lord draws out our calling, okay? And uh, we also find that he turns our inadequacy into humility, right? So it goes from, I can't, I can't, do, Lord, I can't do this, but you can through me. Let's say that together. I can't, but, talk to the Lord, you can through me. With my own vision, with my own talents, with my own abilities, I can't do what the Lord has called me to do, but with God, I can. With God, I can scale a wall. Why? Because he is with me. He is with you. He is Emmanuel. That's what he said to Moses. That's what he said to Gideon. That's what he's saying to us. I am with you, right? Um, I, uh, I was reading uh, a story uh, about, um, it's from Heidi and Roland Baker. Raise your hand if you've heard of them. Um, they are basically missionaries that they go, and the title of this book says it all. This is the title of the book uh, I've been reading. It's called Always Enough, colon, God's Miraculous Provision Among the Poorest Children on Earth. And that says it all. Always enough. So in other words, there's story after story of them working with the poorest children on earth uh, in Mozambique and these different areas. And uh, just miraculous signs of healing redemption, and uh, wherever they go, the, uh, oftentimes the people are, are very hungry, very hungry, and they bring, they bring all this grain and all this food, and what do the people want? They want the Bibles. They're clamoring for the Bibles instead, and then, then they have the meal, of course, right? But these, the, there's just uh, miraculous things that are happening. 
And uh, there's a section in the book where that I wanted to talk to you about uh, where she's, um, she kind of has to take a break. She gets a little bit burned out. And um, this is on page 68, if you uh, ever want to look it up. And uh, she actually becomes paralyzed a little bit. Uh, she can't really move. And her husband, uh, Roland, has to kind of carry her around for about a week. And uh, she's humiliated. And this is a, a self-starting woman. This is a, you know, and she said, you know, I thought... In her mind, she said, I thought I was relying on the Lord for all of this. But really, I was doing it in my own strength. And she got to a point where she was stuck. She just literally stuck, right? How many of us have ever felt stuck before? We're not really moving in the way that we want to in our calling and our purpose, right? It's very common, right? It happened to Moses, happened to Gideon, happened to Heidi. It can happen to us. But the thing is that she learned humility in that. She learned to rely on the Lord, and eventually she was able to move, but she really gave all of it over to her heart, in her heart to the Lord. And then after that, that is when the ministry really took off, right? Because they were having opposition in the government. The government was shutting down their, you know, they were had these orphanages, they were doing great things, right? And they just opposition after opposition just wasn't that she was just stuck and all it took was just being motionless before the Lord for a week and then she realized she realized that the Lord was in control that the Lord was with her and that she was doing it in his strength amen how about the calling of David King David right let's look at that so Samuel What's going on? This We're coming out of the, the age of the tribal leaders, right? And uh, David is the uh, second king after Saul. The first one they get is Saul. But Samuel is, is a prophet that the Lord raises up. And he gets the news the, from the Lord that God has a replacement for King Saul. He was kind of a bad guy, all right? So he says uh, to go to uh, the house of Jesse, and I'm going to show you the next king, of Israel. And Samuel's like, okay, great. So he goes to the house of Jesse, and uh, Jesse's, and he says, uh, do you have any sons? Oh, Jesse says, oh, of course. I have many sons. So the first one comes up, the eldest, and he's handsome, and he's tall, and what does the Lord say? It's not the guy. It's not the guy, right? Okay, this is not the king. Man looks at the outer part, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so then he has another son. What about this guy? And no, that's not the guy either, right? The Lord's talking to Samuel. Okay, and there's seven sons that Jesse has that are all there in the house. And uh, Jesse says, well, that's it. It's all my sons. And Samuel says, are you sure? You don't have one more? And Jesse thinks, oh, yes. Oh, yes, like an afterthought. You know, I do have another one, but he's, he's just a shepherd, Right? Just like Moses with the smelly sheep. Surely you don't want this guy. And he says, well, bring him, out, bring him over here anyway. We'll just take a look at him. And the Lord says, this is the guy. This is the one. This is King David. And he anoints him with oil, which in Scripture, uh, symbol, the anointing uh, symbolizes the spirit of the Lord uh, coming on them to do a task, to do their calling. 
um, but it was a they used oil, um, and uh, the word in Hebrew, of course, is uh, Mashiach, means anointed one. So David, King David, was a a precursor of the anointed one, the Messiah Yeshua. So he anointed with oil, and Scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The same thing that it said about Gideon on all those tribal leaders, right? And so then he is the king from that point on, right? No. 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 We read the story. If we read the story, we know that's not what happens, right? So, that, so he's anointed. He's called, right? But he's kind of stuck. Right? So he goes, and um, apparently Saul had, uh, had some issues, right? He had some troubles. So what does David go and do? He plays his harp, right? right? He goes and, and plays his harp, and the, the, the tormenting spirit that was tormenting Saul, it goes away. When he does that, and it's like, oh, this is a nice young, nice young man, this anointed uh, musician, right? Not a king. He's just a harp player in, in Saul's house. And uh, sometime around this time also, we have uh, the story of Goliath, right? And David is just, you know, his brothers don't really see him as a leader. And he goes up to them, hey, what's going on here? What's going on? Oh, well, there's this guy, a Philistine, giant guy. He's taunting us and saying mean things about, about us and about the God of Israel. And uh, he's challenging us to a fight, and we don't know what to do. And David says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go, Right? So then he slays Goliath, right? Is, does he become king after that? No, still not king, right? And then he ra- he's raised up in Saul's military, right? He has more and more success because the Lord is with him, as we said. More and more success, but with each success, what happens in Saul's heart? It gets hardened, right? He gets more and more jealous of David. He's looking at David and he's like, oh, this guy, I'm, he, he has jealousy in his heart because his heart, Saul's heart was not right with the Lord. So then it gets to a point where Saul is persecuting David and running after him for his very life, right? He tries to spear him, right? And then he's pursuing him all over the countryside, right? And is David king then? No, he's still not king. And he has the opportunity, Scripture says, to even kill Saul and take the crown, right? He's, he's, he's in the cave, right, pursuing David, and David could retaliate. He could get back at him, but David doesn't have that kind of heart. He lets Saul know that he could have, but he's not going to touch the Lord's anointed. There's that word again, anointed. Okay? And only when Saul dies at the hand of the Lord, in the Lord's time, right, does David assume the throne. But first in Judah, only with Judah, and then seven years later, he unites all of the, king- all of the kingdom, all the tribes in Jerusalem. Right? But that does not happen right away. So what is my point? What are the lessons from this narrative? Timing of calling is from the Lord. The calling, right, the anointing, the Samuel moment, and the fulfillment of that calling, they don't always go together, right? We've seen it in this narrative. We see it in our own lives. There's often a period in between. What is that period? 
<laughs> wilderness, but that's the training period, right? That's the refining period. That's where the Lord is preparing us to, to do that calling. And we can infer, I think we can infer that, that the Lord was using this time in David's life, right? So that when he got to that position, he would be the king that the Lord wanted him to be. Amen? All right? So now I want to switch gears a little bit. So when I talk about calling, a lot of times people think that I mean it's the same thing as your profession, as your job. And it can be, right? Uh, for example, uh, I work part-time here at the, uh, at the synagogue, and it's part of my calling, right? So it can line up, but sometimes it doesn't line up, right? I think of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great tent maker, right? That's what he's known as, right? No? No, right? We don't think of him as a tent maker, even though it says that in Acts, uh, at the beginning of chapter 18, he was a tent maker. What do we think of him as? We think of him as a shaliach, an apostle, who taught and wrote uh, and wrote and was an inspired writer, okay? Um, I was looking on uh, biography.com, and uh, I looked up this person, and I'm wondering if you can uh, identify her by her profession. Uh, so she was a seamstress uh, in a department store. Does that sound familiar? No? Okay. Well, how about, uh, how about this? Uh, when, one time when she was on a bus, she refused to give up her seat. Oh, okay. Right? So Rosa Parks was not known by her profession. She was known by her calling. Right? She was called to fight for righteousness in the civil rights movement. That's how we remember her, right? So, to summarize, how do we overcome our doubt and our obstacles? We overcome it with humility. We remember that we can't, but in the Lord, he can through us. We remember that in this narrative of David, remember that God's timing is perfect, and there is often a process time, a training time, but the Lord is faithful, and he will bring us into our calling at the right time. And how does that apply to our calling here at Tikvot, right? Again, it's not just about gifts and talents. It's not what, which are, those are great. Those are great. But it's about God's purpose for our lives, God's purpose for you here. Right? If the Lord has called you here, if this is your home, that means he has a purpose for you here. He has something that he wants to do that's from him that points outward, right, that helps others, right, and that brings fulfillment. He has something for you to do. And what if you don't know what that is? Well, you can ask the Lord. And guess what? Right after the service, I'll be right down here, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray. Anyone, you, I'll pray for anything, you know, whatever you want. But uh, specifically, I want to invite you, if you feel like you don't know what that calling is, or if you are not sure, or if you feel stuck, I want to pray into that for you. Okay? Amen? The context I read of 1 Corinthians, I read that in the beginning. It's the first chapter I read. It's about all about, that first section is all about unity and humility and calling. Think of what you were when you were called. 
And what's the end of 1 Corinthians? Before the, you know, final greetings. In chapter 15, it's all about the resurrection power of Yeshua. It's all about the resurrection of Yeshua and his story. Because it's Yeshua's story. It's the gospel that enables us to fulfill our calling. Nothing else. So after an entire chapter in chapter 15 where Paul is saying that the resurrection is important, the resurrection is vital, that without the resurrection, we're still in our sins. The, the death on the, on the tree by Yeshua, it doesn't mean anything without the resurrection power. After all of that, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul writes. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that is my hope, my prayer for you. My hope is for you to be fruitful, working in the joy of your purpose here in our community and in every area of your life. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we thank you for these narratives that you've given us in your, in your Torah, in your word, um, that show your faithfulness, your faithfulness to draw us out and bring us into where you would want us to be, your faithfulness in those times of refining, in those desert times. And um, we, just, we just pray that your word would go forth, oh God, and encourage us, oh God, in our hearts, um, that you would speak to us from this moment forward into our hearts, into our identity, who we are and who you have called us to be and what you have called us to do, and that we would surrender that to you, oh God. As the song we sang today, Hine Chayai, here is my life. Lord, I give it to you. Make me holy, O oh God, before your eyes. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.